I think anybody can be a runner. It just depends on what level of runner you want to be. It's a new world record for Sonia O'Sullivan. Brilliant run by the Irish girl. O'Sullivan has closed the gap quietly, efficiently, but most of all, economically, and that is important. Running is one of those that you can actually get started without too much. It's probably one of the simplest sports you can do. You really don't need a whole lot. People think that they need more than they need. Well, that's an impressive piece of running so far by Sonia O'Sullivan. Yes, I am still running, but I'm running because I enjoy it. It's the long-awaited Sonia O'Sullivan mailbag episode of The Irishman Running Abroad. From the thousands of emails we've received over the last few months, I've pulled the best ones to put to the queen of Irish athletics. To start with, Sonia, two questions from Michael Kelly. Hi, Jaron, Sonia. I'm sure yep. it's going to come up, but Sonia's thoughts on the European indoors would be very interesting for all of us to hear. Well, Sonia, you, did you get to see the interview with Dara McElhinney after he took fourth place in the 3000? I mean, obviously, Sarah Lavin, sixth place in the 60 metre hurdles, proving herself to be one of the most consistent Irish performers. And uh, the women's four by 400 metres team claiming fifth uh, was superb. But Dara, it was heartbreaking to hear him talk to David Gillick. And you've been there, right, to take fourth place when you can see bronze right in front of you. Did you get a chance to see that interview? I did. And yeah, as he said, he was, he was speechless. I think he kind of, in a way, he sur- surprised himself as if like he didn't, expect to be there or to finish that high mm. um, because about three laps out he was way back in like I don't know eight or ninth yeah. place yeah and he looked like he was just way off the pace and then three got away Jakob Ingebrigtsen and there was a I think maybe a Spanish and a there was a Spanish guy definitely that Darren nearly caught yeah and then I can't remember where the guy was from but um, it was strange because Dara, he looked like he was kind of out of it. And then he ran himself back into a very good position and a personal best, 7.44 over 3,000 metres, which is always, you know, to run your best time in a championship race is not always an easy thing to do because, you know, you don't set off hmm. at a fast, steady pace. So, you know, he kind of has that as a bit of a consolation prize. Um, but hopefully from this, he'll take a bit more belief in himself that he needs to pay a bit more closer order to the front end of the field. So it was it was a good race and it was a very good finish. But he his positioning could have been a little bit better. Mm. With 800 meters to go, he could have been a little bit closer. You know, there was a big gap with 600 meters to go. Um, Jakob just pulled the two other guys with him. So then you kind of thought, well, there's no chance now. Mm. You know, the best you can be is the best of the rest, which is what he was. And, you know, sometimes you have to take that stepping stone to get to the next level. You have to be the best of the rest. And then the next time out, you'll make sure that you're up there in a, a competitive situation where you can challenge for the medal. So I think Dara will, you know, he'll walk away disappointed, but eventually he will accept that it was a pretty good run and... It's a stepping stone to, to the next level for him. When you say eventually, I, I don't know why it is, but every time I'm commuting back and forth to Teddington, I always wind up reading your book. And in the chapter around <laughs> Barcelona, you describe the devastation of finishing fourth. And 
how you know they jog home to the Olympic Village with your coach at the time. You know, you unravel and completely like just all the tears come and the sense that you blew it and that you were there and it was so close. You say eventually that passes. How quickly would you hope it passes for Dara here? Because just like you then in 92, he's very much only at the starting blocks of his career. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the, the difficult thing for Dara is now it's the end of the indoor season and you've got to wait for the outdoor season to start off. So I think, you know, when I finished fourth in Barcelona, you know, it was like the worst thing ever. And, you know, everybody was digging up memories of Eamon Copping, Eamon Copping finishing fourth twice in a row. And then I was fourth and it was like, is this a curse or something? <laughs> and so I think I was lucky in a sense that it was kind of, middle of the summer so there was a whole load of races left to run and you know when you finish fourth in the olympics then a lot of doors open up for you even though you're not happy that you haven't got a medal you still are pretty close that you know people want you in in the races and for me there was great motivation to you know race against the girls who finished in front of me and to beat each of them knowing that once i beat them then you know i just felt like okay you can beat someone I always believe that if you can beat them once, then you can beat them again. And I think it was a school teacher of mine had told me this years previous when I used to have these races with Anita Philpott. And she used to beat me all the time. And then one day I beat her. And it wasn't the perfect situation. Like we turned up track late and I hardly had time to warm up. And we both ran identical times, but somehow I outleaned her and beat her. <laughs> and, and then... So the teacher was Jim Hennessy from Cove Vocational School. And he said, ah, you beat her now once, you'll, she'll never beat you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's a, it's a head thing, right? Once you knew it was possible. Yeah. So, like, so like once, I did read that bit in the book where you're like, I then, like, it is a little bit Michael Jordan last dance. I then made a point of hunting down the three people who had beaten me in that final and beating them one by one <laughs> to prove the point it, to yourself and them that I can run faster than you. And it was exactly like that. You know, it was one by one. They didn't all turn up in the same races. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I was probably the only one who was, you know, had this biggest goal ever in mind. And I think I, I ran a lot of personal bests, a lot of Irish records, won a few races. So I was getting all these great experiences that I'd never had before. Everything was new to me. And I think that's the difficulty for Darren, Dara now is that he probably doesn't really have that immediately. Mm. So he doesn't can't immediately get back on the horse and get out there and start punching. You know, he's run his best time ever. So you kind of think, well, you're in probably the best shape of your life. So if there's races out there, I want to go and run them. It's early March and, you know, there's not that many races out there. There's a few, there will be some coming up in America. But if you would say, oh, yeah, but it's too early. If you're getting ready for the outdoor season, you don't want to be out there racing too fast too soon. Mm. So he's in a bit of a, limbo now at the moment because you kind of have to come down from you know the high as well as the disappointment of finishing fourth and determine okay well where do I go next what's my next target and you know you can't keep training at that high level all the time so you've got to take a little bit of a lull in that as well before you kick start and, and start you know looking towards the the outdoor season which this year is the world championships are in Budapest and like that's a massive step up from the European indoors. So he's got to kind of pick out a few 
stepping stones along the way. I'm not 100% sure if Dara is still under 23. If he is, there's European under 23 championships, which is always kind of a nice thing for the younger athletes to aim for. Hmm. Um, you know, between the junior competition and the senior, particularly higher level world championships and, and Olympic competition, Olympic Games. What about Jakob? Like, he did look, if people weren't watching this, it's worth, I'll stick the link in the notes. The guy didn't seem to be blowing at the end after trashing everyone. Streets ahead, this huge gulf between him and everyone else. Uh, they're all on the floor afterwards, <laughs> on their knees. And he's walking around helping everybody up, going, don't worry about it, lads. <laughs> I mean, it is bizarre <laughs> how how much better he is than everyone at the moment. But, I mean, he is that much better than everybody else. I mean, for him, that was like a very low-key competition. And he was probably just fit and ready and thought, well, you know, I'm not going to let somebody else take these medals. If I'm here, I'll just come out and race them. I'm not doing it. Mm. He did that uh, very well in the 1500 and the 3000, you know, without a bother. But he just operates at such a high level that these races are just fun and games for him. Amazing. Amazing. Well, the second half of Michael's question in our mailbag episode, which is long awaited, so many people getting in touch, was about shoe rotation. He says, I'm reading a lot about shoe rotation. Uh, and he would be interested to know what Sonia's views are on this. What does Sonia recommend in terms of different shoes for different types of runs? And what's she wearing herself these days? Thanks and keep up the good work, Michael Kelly. Well, I did see you were in the Invincible Threes over the weekend, which are probably the most hyped, easy run shoe of all time. Well, what are they like, Sonia? Yeah, well, I was spending a lot of time in the Alpha Fly and the Vapor Fly recently. Mainly because I was traveling and I just couldn't be bothered carrying pairs of shoes with me. Mm. But then when I end up in a home base, then I have a bit more choice. And um, yeah, I'd seen that the Invincible 3 was out and I was keen to try out a pair. So um, yeah, I happened to meet up with um, the guys at Nike during the week. I was in the office with Jessica Holland. You know, I had a message from a friend of mine and she said, Oh, have you tried these Invincibles yet? the new Invincible 3, and I'm like, no, but I'm in Nike, so maybe I'll ask them. <laughs> they might send me a pair, <laughs> which they very, very kindly did. They arrived two days later, and um, I was very happy to give them a try on my easy run on Friday. Friday? Saturday? Saturday. I had a day off on Friday, and I went down the coast, and then I went for a very easy eight-kilometer run with Winnie. I was very tempted to go to the park run because it was Saturday morning and I thought well, we'll go and just run the park run and then tag on an extra 3k but deep down I knew that you know once you line up you're going to run faster than you need to run or you should be running Yeah. and I was running 10k the next day so I kind of thought ah, no, I'll just run from home and um, take it easy come back Take it easy, which I did. And it was lovely. It was a nice run. And if I'd run the park run, Winnie couldn't run with me because she goes a bit mad. <laughs> and it would have all taken a lot longer than it should have. <laughs> you were that person at the park run with the dog that doesn't doesn't adhere to the rules. So the, so the no. Invincibles are, they're not a speed shoe either. They, I find that definitely the, the point of a shoe rotation in my head is that the shoe can keep you at the pace that you need to be at. So if it is an easy run, 
your Invincible will hold you there. Is that the case with the new ones? Yeah, they're not as clunky as the structure, I don't think. And they're not as squishy as the original Invincibles, but they're very soft and comfortable. We described it as like running on marshmallows. I think Castor Semenya might have said that about some shoes previously. Mm. <laughs> but it does, it just, they're just very comfortable and very solid. And I think when you've run a lot in these new carbon plated shoes and the faster shoes, they're a bit like running around or driving around in a racing car or a speed bike. Like mm. they're actually pretty hard on your body after a while. And so I think sometimes you need to kind of step back and go back to the old comfort shoes. Hmm. And as much as I know a lot of people say, if you wear those shoes all the time, you'll be fine. I do think that they can, they're a bit aggravating after a while. And you just feel like you're, so that's, that's, that's the big thing with shoe rotation is that it makes you, they make you run differently. And I think if you're always in, the shoes that are propelling you forward, then you lose the benefit of maybe sitting back a little bit, of just running along easy, of using different muscles. Mm. Um, and then I guess it's up to you what what shoes suit you. I think finding the ones that work for you. I, like I have to give a shout out to John Buckley Sports again for these Endorphin Pro 3s that they sent me, uh, which are a fabulous racing shoe. I didn't wear them this weekend at the Bushy Park Park Run, but they they feel great. And finding the one that feels great for you, I, like to me, that seems to be the centre of shoe rotation, that nobody can prescribe to you what your rotation should be. It comes down to trial and error. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think you have to find the shoes. And sometimes if you have a shoe and you don't really like it, maybe put it aside for a while and go back to your old shoes or find another shoe. But don't get rid of them totally until you're sure that you don't like them. And just kind of bring them in and out every now and then. Because sometimes some shoes take a bit more to wear in than mm. others mm. and to feel that little bit comfortable. So I think maybe we should go to um, John Buckley Sports maybe when you're in Cork for the Cove 10 Mile. Maybe yeah. we can pay them a visit. Let's do it. And yeah. uh, that would be a bit of fun, I think, to um, have a chat in there and juggle around a few different pairs of shoes. And I think people also, what how you might struggle with shoe rotation is if you're fixated on the one brand. Yeah. And a brand loyalty you know, is a thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it can take a big shift to to change up, change things up a little bit and to have a mix of different shoes in your closet. Mm, you know, yeah. I definitely they, go along with I that. I mean, they, yeah. they, they are kind of streamlined, you know, the particular brands, they, they sit well next to each other. And then if you throw in another one, it kind of looks out of place. So I think... The reality is that you have to forget about the aesthetics of the shoes and you have to go with the function of the shoes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and definitely So am. you nearly, when, when you try on shoes in a shoe shop or when you're going to buy new shoes, you should nearly be blindfolded because <laughs> we're automatically attracted to the bright colors mm-hmm. when we go into shops, the, how they look with the other gear that you're wearing. And you really need to find a shoe that fits perfect and then worry about what it looks like afterwards. Yeah, everything and else around And I think irrelevant. any shoe shop, 
will, will tell you that. Mm. And it's very, it's like, I mean, it's the same thing when you go and buy a bike, you know, you see a bike and you think, God, oh, that looks great. And the guy goes, yeah, but it's not your size. <laughs> You're like, but I like that color. The color doesn't come in your size. It's the same with the shoes, you know, the, the colors are not always available in your size and sometimes you have to compromise and it's more about the functionality than the, than the look. As much as looking at the European indoors on the weekend, everybody was out there wearing those flash pink Nike spikes. Oh, yeah. And they looked super, like really, really great. Yeah, I mean, it, it is that that blindfolded method might be an interesting one to do at John Buckley Sports. Maybe that's what we'll do, is that I, I will blindfold myself when they bring them out and I'll try them on because I have recently switched over to an Adidas Primex and like I never would have wore Adidas. But these these yokes have been a game changer for me, particularly for all these marathon miles that I've been running at the weekend. As I said, I went to Bushy Park, did the park run and managed to do it in a time of 2011, which was, as you can imagine, gutting to come that close to the uh, to that watermark. So close. Yeah. Without even thinking about it. Well, that's mad. Yeah. I, and uh, it's a reflection of where my fitness is at in terms of the marathon training. Later on, I'll have a chat with Vinny about where exactly the training is at, what he predicts for the future, what I've got coming up on the horizon. That's in the London calling section, which is a bonus feature for our patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. But we've so many questions in the mailbag to get through. The next one comes from Michael Kinahan and it's a voice note. Hi, Jared. Hi, Sonia. I'm going to ask a real pandering question. For those of us who the, te- the cold 10 mile is our next sort of target race. Yeah, we've four weeks to go. What would the experts' advice be in terms of what we should really focus on in our training over the next four weeks? Thanks as always, guys. Take care. Yeah, there's about a month to go now to the Cove 10-mile run. And I would say, and this is something I have decided I'm going to focus on after my 10K run on the weekend, which the time was grand, but how I felt doing it wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, this was a race you did over the weekend and didn't feel great. Yeah. No, but I mean, I managed to run the time that I would have expected to run, but it was hard work doing it. And so I kind of felt like I'd like to feel better doing it. I'd, I feel a bit more in control, whereas I felt like it was a bit of a struggle mm. the whole way. I got to halfway and my pace was good for, well, sub 45 minutes and even for 44 minutes, so I, I do all the maths in my head. I'm thinking, okay, well, if I slow down here to 4.30 per kilometer pace, I'll get in under 45 still, Yeah, I'll be good. And then eventually, I, I didn't even look at my watch anymore after that. I thought, no, I don't even want to know here. I'm just going to look around at the people that are around me and just try and keep up with people. Yeah. You know, you notice kind of funny clothes that people are wearing, like this guy some kind of a flowery shirt and I'm thinking no wait, this guy can't beat me <laughs> you gotta keep up with this guy <laughs> I mean you know we shouldn't all be very judgmental but we are <laughs> you see people running past and you kind of compare yourselves to them and you think yeah no I can keep up with this person so there was a few people like that who were kind of you know you you pass each other and you then they pass you back and this goes on for like a long time yeah and then eventually i'm kind of striding into the finish line and 
this guy with the flowery shirt shirt were going stride for stride. <laughs> <laughs> and we weren't we weren't trying to beat each other. We were actually at that point we just got to the point where okay, we're just gonna finish this. <laughs> it's strong. Yeah. And you know, and then you kinda of have a smile and a little chat afterwards and and you acknowledge that you've actually helped each other. Yeah. So he was obviously watching me and I was watching him. Um yeah. because there's something catches your eye and you think he's probably thinking, I gotta keep up with this girl here. <laughs> <laughs> she can't be any good. What is your advice to Michael Kinnan here if he's feeling the same way as you that, wow, when I did put in an effort, it, it didn't feel great. What What is the plan for somebody heading to Cove at uh, this point? Well, I, I think you've got to be extra diligent with the strength work. And so I did a little bit of that this morning after my run. I was outside overlooking the sea and I did my push-ups and my dips and some lunges. I've got a little bit of a program of things I wrote down on a card. Maybe I can send it to you and yeah, we can post it up. And I just feel like if I can do this two or three times a week consistently, then I think it will help me to feel better. That's one thing. The second thing I think is when you're doing your long runs or your even your ordinary easy runs during the week, I wouldn't try and avoid the hills. I would try and find the hills and run up them. It doesn't matter how slow you run up them. I think running up hills requires different muscle movements, like in your, your glutes and your, your hamstrings and your quads. They need to work a little bit extra hard going up hills. So I would consider taking in a few hills. And when you get to a hill, instead of thinking, oh, I can't wait to get over this thing, like attack it and say, right, I'm going to run up this now and feel good. Yeah. Just see how good you can feel running up the hill and think of it as a positive. This is helping me to be better. So when I get to go, I'm going to be ready to attack the hills down there. And then sometimes at the end of a run might include some strides, maybe 20 to 30 second strides. Uh, maybe consider doing these on some kind of an incline. And just again to the, the glutes, the hamstrings, the quads, and and the arms driving you up the hill. Great advice. Great stuff. Uh, and I can't stress that you do need to prep for these hills. I know that your slogan for a cove this year is it's hilly, get over it. But I think it really does need to be said, if you're coming down to the race, get some hills in. Like, it's just going to stand to you, isn't it, Sonia? Even just the psychological side of seeing this rise in front of you won't won't be frightening or won't be intimidating on, on the day. Absolutely. I think, you know, there's no point being fast on the flat if you can't run up a hill. And if you can get up the hill, I mean, you just have to get up it, get over it, and then enjoy the downhill. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter. You don't have to get up there that fast. You just need to get up there with good form. And... You know, just think, I'm just going to get up here as best I can. And, you know, hills, they're hard. Whether you run up them slow or fast, they're they are equally hard. couple of quick ones here. Uh, Ian O'Brien, who is an Eagle Athletic Club uh, member, uh, somebody I pipped on the line last year. <laughs> he wished me well as he went by me with a kilometre to go. <laughs> I managed to catch him. Probably the same way as the fellow in the flowery shirt. I was like, I'm not letting Ian O'Brien beat me. Ian says... I'm still fascinated on the food front, Sonia. Before a Cove 10, what should I be having in the morning at 9am? At 9am, the race is at 10.30. I'd be eating 
I might eat at 8 a.m. every Right. I'd clean up a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, at 9, 9 a.m. I wouldn't be eating too much. If I was eating at 9 a.m., I would just have a cup of coffee and maybe some cereal, a little bit of a dried cereal, nothing much. Right. Maybe a piece of toast, but not a whole lot. But if you're going to have a proper breakfast, then at 8 o'clock, then you're two and a half hours before the race. Uh, I mean, ideally, you'd be three hours before to, if you want to eat something proper. And then you could have, could even have an egg. Like a poached egg wouldn't yeah. be too bad if you want to go with the protein and then that might kick in. You know, in the last few miles of the race, you might feel that kicking in and giving you a little bit of extra energy. I think I would maybe focus on the carbohydrates the day before. Not too many of them before the race. Some people like to have some porridge in the morning of a race mm. or just toast. If you're going to have porridge, I wouldn't have too much and nearly go with like those little um, the tubs. The tubs that you can get. Yeah, and if you're traveling, they're, great. they're ideal because they're a nice size. They're enough without being too much. You can make them in a um, hotel. You can make them in a hotel or guest house, wherever you're staying. Very simple, a bit of hot water. Um, something like that. They're actually the perfect thing to have if you feel like you need, you know, a bit of carbohydrate before 10 miles, which which probably you would do. So I would say no later than eight o'clock in the morning, I might have the porridge. OK, sold, sold. I'm definitely going to Super Value now later on to pick up a couple of those because I've got out of the habit of the porridge and I used to swear by it. Laura Hobbins was in touch, and I guess it's the other side of the coin, Sonia, isn't it? Any tips for those people trying to keep their sanity in check while going through rehab and watching everybody else take part in races? Very tough question. Yeah, I would say try not to look too much at other people <laughs> taking part in races. <laughs> Delete Strata. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's. I mean, I find it very easy not to check on everybody on Strava. I have to actually go make a point of looking for people to mm. make sure I go out to kudos every now and then. Yeah. And not obsess over it too much. I think if you're not on there yourself, then there's no point torturing yourself and looking at what other people are doing. I think maybe focus on what you are doing and what you can do, not what you can't do. And then, you know, if that's some other activity, then compare yourself to pe other people who are doing that activity. And mm maybe swimming, cycling, look at what other people are doing, meet up with different people who are doing the other activities that you can do, even if it's just going for a walk, just kind of link in with other people with that same common interest. And yeah, don't, don't worry about what you can't do and what other people are doing, because once you do recover from the injury and you get back in there again, you'll be able to join in again yeah. in time. My advice, like I've lived through this, I've obviously had a, a bad or a bad period there this year, which seems like an eternity ago, but really was only October, November, where I couldn't get out of my own way without pain shooting up my back. And I don't know, was it you that told me this? But writing everything down in terms of my progress really helped because I could see it on the page that actually the incremental improvement was happening that was my advice to laura was like get it written down because you can't if you can't see your improvement you're more than likely not going to feel like it's happening but a page or two later you can see that wow two weeks ago i couldn't do that uh, that's that's my tip on that as somebody that's lived through it 
let's uh, go to the question about how do you know? Uh, or actually, let's go to our team captain, Ashling de Maison. She sent this vo- voice note. Hi, Ger. Um I had a question. Um, I'm doing like a good, you know, five days a week running. And um, I, I really, I, you'd think I'd be losing weight and I'm not. Like, I'm not doing it to lose weight, but I would love to lose some. I'm just starving all the time. Um, so, and I know I'm not eating the right foods. I kind of eat the right foods and then the wrong foods as well. A bit of a combination of both because I'm starved. Um, so mine's just about food and it's just about loading up and how to do it and kind of get lighter as well. <laughs> and I know there's logic there that I should maybe eat low calorie foods but that's my question uh, i'd love to to get lighter running um but i feel like i'm constantly fueling myself up and i'm not getting lighter running i'm not putting on weight but i'm not getting lighter so that's really my question anyway listen good to talk to you talk, to take care and good luck with everything yeah i mean i think when someone starts running initially then you're adding on something fairly dramatic that you haven't been doing and so you'll have a noticeable weight loss, you know, as long as you're balancing the input and the output is not changing too much. So, yeah, then you can get yourself to a certain point and then you're kind of thinking, but now there's no more improvement. But then you have to think, okay, well, why am I running? Am I running to lose weight or am I running to be a better runner, Mm. to feel fitter? So I think you have to kind of weigh up what, why you're actually running to determine how you're going to manage that. So one way to be a better runner is to include strength and conditioning, some faster, different variations of speed work, um, different races that you can do. That all helps to be a better runner. Now to lose weight, then you have to look at your diet and what you're eating. And if it's been the same, so it's a bit like a training program, if your, your diet hasn't changed very much, then your weight's not going to change very much. Yeah. Just like if your training is, if you're doing the same training, then you're going to get the same results. So you do have to change things up every now and then. Mm. And so maybe it needs to, like you said, write down what you're doing, write down what you're eating and look at where could I be better here or maybe just changing different types of food that you're eating. Yeah, it's um, incredible. Even writing but, it down for one week, I found, has an impact because you're not even conscious of it. Well, wow, there's that many penny jellies entering my mouth each week. <laughs> and <laughs> they they add up. They do add up. Uh, so just keeping a little, uh, just a notebook or even just a, a note in your iPhone, is that what you're saying? Yeah, and then, but you do have to have the motivation for why you're trying to lose weight or how much weight you want to lose. And if you're, if it's a combination of eating and exercise that's doing this for you, I think exercise will do so much, but then there does come a point where you have to look at what you're eating and when you're eating and how this can impact on, on your weight and, and the change of weight that you want to have. We have so many more questions for Sonia in the second half of this episode. You'll really want to hear them. We'll also have Vinnie Mulvey, the uh, former Leinster uh, physical therapist, elite athlete himself. He'll be talking about 48 days to London Marathon. If you're training for a marathon, Vinnie's advice, you'll need to hear that as well. 
I will, of course, be in Cork for the Cove 10 mile road race at the 2nd of April. I'll also be there on May 12th. We've just announced a date at the Everyman Theatre. My first date doing my stand up show in 10 years in Cork. I don't know how it's happened, but that's how it's going to be to Cork City coming back 10 years later to do this show. And I'm happy to say that it's nearly 50% sold out already. It only went on sale on Friday. So go and get your tickets for that. It's going to be a huge night and I'll also have a support act on the evening. I'll be in Debarra's on the Friday before Sonia's race. So if you contact Debarra's, there is a waiting list for tickets there that's already sold out and we're adding dates in Galway and more around the country through May and June. But come over to patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad to hear the rest of this episode. Sonny O'Sullivan is moving out nicely. Is this to be Ireland's first ever female world champion? Sonny O'Sullivan is on her way to another magnificent victory. Running is a kind of a, an adjective or that you can use to describe a lot of different things. And Sonny O'Sullivan is going to take the world title back to Ireland and our home city of Cove. <laughs>